Welcome to the Impact Podcast with your hosts, Jacinta and Kobe. We'll be diving into all things holistic health and our perspective of what people really need to live a sustainable, healthy lifestyle. Welcome to the second episode of the Impact Podcast. We are honoured to have an amazing guest. He was a professional fighter in the UFC. Kyle Noak has joined us today. He is an amazing guy. So let's get into it. How are you, mate? I'm doing well. Awesome. Now, you've got an amazing fighting career, um, 33 career fights, 22 wins. What of that can you remember? Is there any standout wins that you can say, yep, that was unreal? One that stands out the most for me was I fought in Sydney in two, I can even tell you the year, but I fought Chris Kamosi there. Um, it was a massive crowd. Uh, I came out, uh, I won the fight in the first round, and, and for me, I didn't really take in that the crowd was there until after the fight. I was that focused on my fights, and this is when I know I'm always doing well because I'm that focused. I don't notice the crowd. I don't notice no one's el- no one else is in, in even in the ring like there's a referee there or anything. And then the second the fight's over, everything sort of comes into vision where I can start seeing the crowd again, and I can hear people cheering, and I can see everything. So it's kind of like tunnel vision for me when I walk out there and fight. I can just see, when I remember it, when I get look back and remember it, I can see one light above me and my opponent and that's it. But once the fight was over and the whole crowd was on their feet cheering, it was, um, it was an awesome moment for me, yeah. Very cool. That's awesome. So for those who don't know Carl Noak, which I'm sure there's probably like 1% of people that don't know who, the, who he is. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty lucky to have Carl as a member of our gym at Impact Strength and Fitness. So. Yeah. Um, he's yeah been he said yes to come along and sort of chat to us about his journey which is he's got an awesome story so let's just like take it back to as far as you can remember which really isn't that far ago because you know before we hit record on this Carl did share his true age and <laughs> he's not that old um, explain to us how you got into into MM, MMA originally like take us back there yep um, I was about 22 I was at the time so I started in 2002 and uh, I'd met a friend of mine named Tony Green, who was a pro bodybuilder back then. And he asked me if I wanted to come along and do some training with him. So I thought, yeah, you know, I was always into my fitness. I played rugby. I wanted to get bigger anyway. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to come along and train with you. He's like, all right, just bring a, a shirt and a pair of shorts. And I'm thinking to myself, of course I'm going to wear a shirt and shorts. You know, I'm going to train. I'm going to lift weights. Anyway, he comes, picks me up, takes me to the to a gym. And I didn't know what it was, but we walk in and there's a big open auditorium with Matt's there. And he's like, okay, let's start running around and warming up with everyone else. And I was like, thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, this is not lifting weight. I don't know this is, but I'll jump in and have a go anyway. Um, jumped in and had a go, started loving it from the start. And we had like a bit of a wrestle with everyone at the end. And I was submitting a couple of guys in the first session. So it's pretty much hooked from the very first session and, and never looked back from then, just fell in love with the sport and, and kept on pursuing it. What, what age were you at that point? I was 22, so, yeah, I, I had my first fight in 2002, yeah. but um, I had only started training for like a couple of weeks, and Tony's like, you're pretty good at this, do you want to have a fight? And I was like, wow. I'd love to have a fight. And then it wasn't long after that that I had my first fight. Yeah, that's amazing. You got hooked straight away? Straight away. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. What sort of, when you first went into this, and you had like a particular... Um, style of training previously and you know you just said then like it only took you a very small time since you first started training that particular way 
and then you know had your first fight like how did you how did you have to get into that mindset like so quickly um you know i grew up in dubbo in new south wales and it's a pretty rough town so um we used to we used to fight a lot anyway growing up in dubbo um we used to fight playing football we always used to say we we're going to win the match or we we're going to win the fight because it was always guaranteed <laughs> to be a fight yeah uh in saying that it wasn't we get on a lot of fights with everyone but there wasn't much to do in dubbo but play sports and then on the weekends we'd get together and fight now when we fought it wasn't like we were kicking each other on the ground or being aggressive towards each other you know, it was two guys having a fight no one let anyone else jump in and the second was over everyone picked everyone up and we walked away and it was just a way for us to settle stuff when we were younger um, and I had a lot of fights growing up as a kid so my first fight for me my first professional fight and I did go straight to pro I didn't have any amateur fights um, I was probably the least nervous out of all my fights I just I felt pretty comfortable and I felt at ease and I felt well it's just something that I want to do. I didn't look at it as a career, so I didn't have any stress of, oh, I have to win this fight for my career. It was just, um, I really adopted a, a, a martial artist's mindset where I'm just going to do test myself against another guy and, and test how good I am. I, I love that you're just uh, just sort of calm. You obviously grew up fighting. Um, if you take it back a little bit, did you have to fight for much growing up? Like, what sort of upbringing did you have as far as, like, family, brothers and sisters, like... Was that ingrained from you from the from a really early age? It was, you know. Um, I've got three brothers, two older, uh, one younger. <laughs> yeah. One of them older ones is only eleven months older than me, so we're very close. Yeah. And we did grow up fighting all the time. Yeah. Uh, my eldest brother Nelson, he used to make us fight sometimes, um, and we'd also sit down and watch movies. You know, he was a big fight fan too, and he's also a black belt in jiu-jitsu with me now. But we used to watch, I can remember as a kid, we'd watch Van Damme movies and Bruce Lee movies, and as soon as they were over, we'd jump out the front and start trying to practice all the moves that we saw. Um, and then even my dad still instilled like, um, boxing in us when we were younger. He loved boxing. I've got photos of me when I'm like two years old, and dad's holding his hands up, and I've got my hands up That's in, awesome. in a good yeah. position. You know, yep. like My hands are protecting my chin, and I'm, I'm throwing. So we, we did learn from a young age how to fight. And, yeah. Yeah. And I'd imagine there was a lot of competition in your household household too, hey? Oh, absolutely. Competition with everything. Yeah. yeah. Did you have to, like, cover your food, like, at the dinner table? <laughs> You're like, stay away from my food all the time? I did with my brother that was 11 months older than me. He used to smash his first and then be looking at everyone else's plates. <laughs> and mum's even got photos because we're 11 months apart. He'd come and steal my bottle off me all the time. And then I'd start crying and mum would walk in and see what's going on. Adam would be sitting there sculling my bottle. And she'd be like, give it back to the baby. <laughs> Stealing yeah. your protein. Yeah, stealing it all. Yeah. That's why I grew up skinny, but I'm uh, not now. trying to get big now. That's why yeah. I'm in the impact. You yeah. can fit through that door. <laughs> that's right. Walking sideways. <laughs> I wished. So um, what did that explain to us how it felt, like having that first professional fight? Did it feel completely different compared to just fighting with the boys, like you say? How did that feel? And what what sparked you continue to continue that more into a career? Um, to be honest, I, I didn't feel too much. I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't too nervous. Um, before my fight, my friend Tony Green that got me into fight had given me a book uh, called Musashi. And it's a great book. It's, it's a massive, it's, a, it's like seven books in one, but it's a Japanese book and, and most Japanese people have to read it before they leave school. But it's a phenomenal story and the guy and it's really a dedicated martial artist. So I adopted a mindset going into my first fight. Like I didn't care about the outcome of the fight. Um, as long as I trained and put my heart and soul into everything that I did, 
the, the result didn't matter. You know, I was just I was going out there to test myself, and and I didn't care. Like friends and family were coming, but I didn't really care. It wasn't for them; it was for me. Yeah. And it was just to see how far I'd progressed as a person and as a martial artist in my very first fight, and then yeah. I tried to adopt that from most of my other fights and all the way to the to the last one, but. I was just going to say, did you keep that same mindset or did you start to shift and like, you know, I want to go into this and win or did that ever change for you? Yeah, it, it did towards the end. Um, I started hanging around with a guy called Cowboy Cerrone who's a party animal. Um, and Cowboys. then obviously once the, once the money starts coming into it as well, you know. Yeah. Towards the end of my career, I kind of lost it a bit where I was just fighting for the money and, and mm. my passion kind of had, had drifted off a little bit and I'd already had a daughter back home and I was still in the States, living in the States, going back and forth all the time. So I missed her a lot. I had to do all my fight camps in America. And it just, in the end, I was just like, I'm just jumping in to get paid. Just give me my yeah. money, which is not the right way to do it for any professional athlete. Exactly. You're not in there to get paid. It still should be your passion. It still should drive you to uh, be better. Yeah. You see that a lot, like just not in fighting or in sport. It's in any career, really. You know, once you start to, you know, you have that, that money flowing in and mm -hmm. you know you can get all the material things and you know the external stuff yeah and like i touched on this in the last podcast like that stuff can be taken away in an instant Absolutely. for you and what's left like if you still got that drive and that passion then that's ultimately what's going to keep you going mm. yeah that's right i mean i have more passion for the sport now than when i did when i retired yeah, uh, now right. that i've had time to come back and sort of rest and heal and, and reset myself back home um, yeah, I feel like I can get back in there and have another shot and, and do it a lot better. Yeah, and do you think that's come, like, obviously through growth and, like, your, your personal experience and your journey, you know, you had, a, like, a particular mindset when you first started and what does your mindset look like now towards the sport? Or if you were to start your career now where you are, how would that look for you? Um, it could look a lot different than my last few fights. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it just, I'd be a lot more focused now. Um, I, I'd, I'd keep the, f like, in my last few, I, like I said, I drifted away from the, the sort of warrior mindset, if I want to call it. So, you know, I was just interested in the payday. I was interested in all the fun things I could do outside of the sport, mm. where now I'd, I'd focus, like, it, when it, when it was, in my earlier fights, when it was my dream, nothing else mattered to me. I didn't care about going out partying. I didn't care about anything else, you know. That was my life. And for me, the, to unwind from that was just going home and spending time with friends and playing video games or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, not going out partying or not going out wakeboarding or blow off training to go wakeboarding or mountain climbing or something like that, you know. Yeah. So I think that's really cool to touch on because I think that can help a lot of people where they're currently at now, like in terms of having like disciplined habits. Like you might have a freshie who's or someone who's just starting on like their health and fitness journey, for example, mm -hmm. and they're feeling really motivated and good and they have good people surrounding them. But you know, that comes with ebbs and flows and you'll lose that motivation. But what ultimately keeps you going is like that discipline. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you lost disciplined habits or was it like the people that surrounded you or a bit of both? Uh, it was definitely both. Um, you know, I did lose the discipline side of it because I wasn't as focused. Even with my uh, diet, my diet wasn't as good as it was when I was fighting early. You know, towards the end, I just, I'd have two two days on a like, healthy diet and then one day off and then two days on and two days off. Mm. And I'd still make weight because I'd have to go in the store and, you know, push sweat, it out. Yeah, yeah. sweat it out. Yeah. So... I'd never not make weight, so I'd, I'd always go in there no matter how much I had to lose and wouldn't get out until it was gone. But that's another thing. The discipline went 
one part of your discipline drops off, everything else starts lacking as well. And you start your diet's not as good, your training's not as good, your strength and conditioning's not as good, so everything drops off. Yeah. What piece of advice would you have to give to someone on that, like in terms of creating discipline habits? Like what do you do each day that you find is the one habit that sets you up each day? Do you have anything in particular? I don't really. Um, you know, I've got a sort of different personality. I don't. I'm not, I'm not addicted to anything. Like I, I used to love my coffees. I stopped drinking coffee because all of a sudden I started feeing like, oh, I think coffee's got a hold of me. So you know what, I'm going to drop it. Mm. But um, for me, just just stay focused on your on your goal and and make sure everything you do is working working towards that goal. And then also the f- people you have around you before. Even if someone wants to lose weight, once they start losing weight, they're going to attract new people around them and people are going to start saying they look good and, mm-hmm. and want to hang around them. But if you keep the same people that care about you before in your life, then you're still going to feel grounded and have that support behind you. Yeah. Like for me, being over the, in America, I had new friends all the time. I didn't have my family with me. I didn't have the friends I grew up with. So it was kind of hard for me to stay, stay grounded when everyone I hung around was going out doing different things. And mm-hmm. I'm like, hang on, I want to go out and do that as well. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. Mate, speaking of people being able to s- speak into your life, you spent quite a few years with Steve Irwin. Mm-hmm. What what was your role with Steve? Um, the way that I see Steve is, you know, what you see is what you get. The, the person that we saw on TV um, is the same person I'd imagine he was in real life. Is that is that correct? Yeah, he, he was pretty much like that. Um, I still remember my job interview. I'd, I'd been training for a while with my coach then, Dan Higgins, and he was already working for personal security for Steve. And I just, my mum owned a, a shop and she just closed it down, so I had to find a new job. So I said to my coach, oh, I'm looking for a job. And he said, I think Steve's looking for someone new at the zoo. And it wasn't that he needed a bodyguard or a personal security. He just wanted someone else who could train. Yeah. Because Steve fell in love with MMA, so. Didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. I went to my first interview and... Um, the lady from HR came in and she said, like, oh, you're going to be starting on this amount of money. He's like, no, he's not. He's starting on this. He's going to be my personal security. She's like, oh, okay. Well, you're going to have to wear security clothes when you first come and start working for a few months. Steve's like, no, he's not. He's not doing that. He's not doing any night shifts, nothing. He's working just for me and that's it. Yeah, that's awesome. And so the HR lady's like, well, I'm not needed anymore. He's like, no. <laughs> so she left and he's like, right, you got the job. Now let's talk about fighting. Yeah. And then we spent the next hour talking about fighting and who he knew and what he wanted to do and um, yeah, I walked away and I had a job with him. So that was a big passion. I guess not very many people would know that. That was a big passion of Steve's then, Hayes, being able to fight and train to yeah. fight as well. Yep. Um, he actually built us a cage at the zoo to train, so he was a big, massive supporter of our fight career, me and my coach Dan Higgins, to the point where he used to fly us over to America for some of our training camps. Wow. And uh, he'd come over as well, but he, he built us a cage at the zoo where we could train and we used to do MMA sparring every Wednesday morning which is small gloves shin pads and we'd go at it and it's like you could strike each other pretty hard and take each other down and do submissions so it's kind of like a, a simulated fight so when he knew he had the Wednesday morning training he'd be in the gym at like 2 o'clock in the morning with his hands wrapped just waiting for us to get there just like, ready. couldn't wait to get his hands How on good. Us. Yeah. yeah. did, did he, he ever submit you? yeah he submitted me a bunch of times yeah, um, cool. he uh, <laughs> split me down the middle here once and then Took me up to the vet to sew it up. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a koala next to you yeah. and you're sitting there like, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Did he ever take you into the into the croc ring? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
yeah, we used to go in there and feed the crocs and you know, throw them to me, make them do death rolls. Uh, once a year, he takes up the far north Queensland into the Kennedy River up there, and we'd go up there and catch crocodiles and put satellite trackers on them so we could, you know, study them and see how far they dove and where they went and stuff like that. Yeah. So it was a massive thing we did, and they still do it to this day. They go up there every year and do some research on some crocs. That would have been, um, that would have been a, a time in your life where you had that real good inspiration around you. He obviously let you go back to the States to do your fight camps and was sort of pushing you. Um, there's a few people in my life that have passed away for whatever reason that I actually remember where I was at that time. And I'm, I, I think all of us listening could actually remember where we were when we heard the unfortunate news that, you know, Steve had passed away. How did that change your thought process with your fighting career? Because he was obviously a big mentor or a mentor, I'm guessing, inspiration for you in your career. How did that, did that change the direction in what you were doing? It did. Um, I was living in Australia when he passed. I just left a croc trip up North Queensland. Uh, I came home. Then I flew to the States to have a fight and I was supposed to fight in Las Vegas. It was before I was in the UFC. But uh, I was training in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then my coach, Greg Jackson, over time called me up and he gave me the news. And I didn't believe him at the start. I was like, no, he didn't. And he's like, That's how I was, yeah. yeah. He's like, you have to Google it. So I did. And then, yeah, I found out. So obviously I cancelled my flight and came home. But, um, yeah, it it really did drive me. You know, I I spent the next couple of months, I stayed at the zoo for another year uh, just to be there for Terry and the family to make sure everyone was all right. And, you know, Steve was so passionate about everything that he did. Mm-hmm. It really made me think about my career and how passionate I was about mine. So that made me sort of, I sold everything I had and I told Terry, look, I'm going to have to leave the zoo because I want to chase my career and yeah. chase my passion and move to the States where I can have a real go at fighting. Because back then they weren't really taking guys from Australia into the UFC. So I had to move over there to further my opportunities. Did you so, have your family already at that time? Like your partner and your first child? No, I had a, I had a partner. And we were kind of rocky, so I ended that. Sold. Yeah. We had a um, house together, so she had to pay, buy me out of that. It, it, it makes me sound bad. I wasn't like, I'm going, I'm out. You know, <laughs> she was happy to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she wanted the house in her name anyway, so she was like, okay, done, here you go. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, I went to the States. It can. It's a huge catalyst that obviously made you push for more, you know, and that's how we, we have these conversations all the time, like Kobe and I personally, and then with other people in the gym. Some people can be so scared of, like, change. Yeah, and, and that's probably something that I've done throughout my whole career is um, I try not to focus on, on fear. I, I try to turn that fear. Like, you have to tell yourself that because f- people get scared and they get nervous. I tell all my fighters this now because I still train guys. Especially before a fight, they get this fear and then, and then they start doubting themselves and mm. thinking and then they feel this thing in their stomach and it starts tightening up and they're like, oh, I'm hell nervous, you know, I, I feel really nervous, and especially in my stomach. I was like, well, it's not only, it's yes, you have nervous, like you're nervous about your performance that you're about to do, but it's also excitement and you have to realise that you're not only nervous, but you're also excited. Yeah. Mm. Like, and that's the same sort of feeling you get when you're excited. You kind of get little butterflies in your stomach when you're excited, yeah. right? So. You can't confuse the two and you have to realise that, yes, I am a little bit nervous, I'm a bit scared, but I'm also excited about what I'm about to do and what I can do. Mm. So you have to try not to focus on the nerves because then all the excitement energy gets sucked into the nervous energy as well and then you're unable to perform when it's time. Yeah. yeah. Was, was that something that you did um, privately before the fight? Like, you know, you obviously going to the fight, 
I'd imagine your um, your camps are how long were your camps? Like ten plus weeks? Yeah, twelve weeks long. Tw- oh, eight to twelve weeks, depending on how much notice you had. Yeah. So you've got a lot of visualization that you're doing previous prior to the fight. You get to your fight day. Did that sort of um, that change from nervousness to excitement happen like in a peaceful moment before you got onto the, you know, went into the cage? Uh, yeah, it's usually fight week. It starts the nerves start kicking in. Yeah. But you, like I said, you're also excited, so you have to do that as well. The the biggest part for me to get over when I first got there was, um, like, you know what time, like, you, you roughly know what time you're fighting, but then they come in and they say, like, oh, you're up in 20 minutes, you know, so you start getting ready, and then it could be, like, 30 or 40 minutes before they come back in. Uh, not in the UFC, they're pretty on time, but um, the worst thing is you, you start warming up, and the next minute they come in and go, okay, you're up now, and you're like, oh, hang on, I haven't warmed up yet, or I haven't done yeah. this yet. yeah. So after a while, I learned that from early in my fights is is to always be ready in my mind. So I'd I'd pace around the room like, just come and get me ready. I'm ready to go. Mm. Like whether I'd done enough warm up, did like if I've done everything that I had to do before the warm up or not, I'd be like, I'm ready now. I wish they'd just come in and get me already. Like let's go, let's yeah. go, let's go. Yeah. So you're preempting. Yeah. So yeah. that way, when he does walk in on short notice and be like, that fight ended in 20 seconds, Kyle, you're on. Yeah. I'd be like, all right, let's go. I've been waiting for this. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. You've obviously had a lot of success throughout your whole fighting career. What is your definition of success now that you're, you're not really a, a pro fighter as such anymore? What does success like look like for you? Success for me is having good quality people around me, friends that care about me, uh, my family, making sure, m- making sure that not but not wealthy it's not about wealth for me success is not that success is not about achievements for me but for me if i'm successful my family are happy they're taken care of um i have like i said a, a good group of people around me that care about me for me that then i'm successful yeah i also want to be wealthy i'm not saying i don't want to be wealthy i know i also want to i want those things as well but it's not for me that's not success i'm not going to be successful if i do that that's Mm. it you don't measure it based on how much money you've got in the bank no that's right yeah like you say if you know you see your family happy then it it must feel so good knowing that i'm i'm doing an amazing thing like yeah yeah Uh, absolutely now if my daughter comes up and says oh dad i want to do this i want to be able to be able to do it with her as well so yeah so you've got two daughters and one on the way Two daughters and, and a little boy on the way. Yeah, right. Yeah. So your two yeah, daughters, how old are they? One just turned five not long ago, and my daughter is, my youngest one is eight and a half months. Yeah. And then now she's, my partner's 19 weeks pregnant. So, so it happened pretty quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. Anyone that has any more than two kids, <laughs> I'm like, I take your, take my hat off to yeah, you. Yeah, I know it just enters up for babysitting, so like whenever she's... Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that, because I'm going to have three soon. I'm going to be palming all <laughs> And my partner wants another one too, so... Oh, four. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> Would you... Well, well, you used the word, took it straight out of my mouth just then, like, is your family your why now? Is that your big driving factor of why you do what you do? Obviously, um, you're still coaching and you're still mentoring young fighters, but do you draw a lot of that? from family and and you're doing this for family or what's the big drive factor now it is you know especially my eldest daughter isla who's five um she is obsessed with me so she's daddy's girl through and through and 
will follow me around the house like a shadow, you know. So she's always watching everything I do. She comes to my jiu-jitsu when I'm training. She just wants to sit down and watch, and she wants to come. Now I've got her into surfing, but she knows I like surfing. So I bought her a surfboard so she could come with me now, and she just wants to do everything that I'm doing and be with me. So um, that's another reason, like, I want to be good for her. I want to do everything right for her, you know. I want her to look up to me and and see someone that she can. Like, she's going to look up to me regardless. Yeah. Mm. But I want her to look up and see a good person, see someone that can work hard and, and, and works hard for the things they want. You know, I just want to instill some good morals into her, I guess. Yeah. With all my kids, but just her, she's at that age now. Yeah. Yeah. My, yeah. young, but my youngest daughter doesn't care, like, whatever's around. She's going to stick it in her mouth, chew on it. She doesn't care what's going on around the world right now. Yeah, yeah. I love my, my eldest, yeah. She's uh, It's at such a vulnerable age. It's very similar. Like, I've got a, a six-year-old and a three-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they could just consume everything that you do. And, yeah, actions, obviously, they speak so much louder than words. So, yeah, yeah you said it, like, ensuring that you're a good role model mm-hmm. and all of that. But I think it's super important, like... To not, as a parent, like we're, we're all parents in here, we strive for like perfection sometimes in parenthood. I don't know if you agree or not. And then you kind of have like, I think guilt can set in when we, when we, sometimes when we set that standard so high, do you think like it's important to also instill into your children that it's okay to fail? Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and that's why I'm going to get Isla to start doing some jujitsu comps now because she's not going to win them. She's, she's very much a girly girl where she's, you know, she's a bit timid and she's like I was as a kid. I was very shy, so she's very shy as well. Um, so I think once she does start doing comps, she's going to learn. She's going to lose, which, which I wanted to as well mm. because then she learns how to deal with the loss. Yeah. Um, you know, talking to my brother, he's got uh, two boys and they all play football and stuff, and he was telling me that kids these days, they don't, uh, under a certain age in rugby league, they don't keep score. So when the game's over, they're like, there's no winners, there's no losers, and everyone walks off. And, and I get it, I understand mm. it. But you also need to teach these kids the, the, the lessons that can be learned with losing. Yeah. And I know their, their theory is I will inject it later on when they're a bit older, but by that time, they're, 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 I think under 8s or 10s or 12s or something, they don't start scoring till. till. Mm. But yeah. I think failure happens so early on in the piece in childhood. Yeah. Like you think standing up, starting to walk, like mm-hmm. kids are constantly falling down. Get back up, try again, you know, it's, yeah. it, that's in us. Yeah. So. Same as I was trying to ride a bike now, so I was taking the training wheels off and push her and then she'll fall off. And I don't want to do it again. I'm like, yeah, darling, you have to get back up and have a go. You yeah. You have yeah. to do it again. I think that's, if we take that into adulthood, like sometimes we, we don't understand that, you know, if something happens and we fail, it's not the end of the world. You know, if someone, someone in the gym talks to me about, you know, I stuffed up on my nutrition this week. It's like, it's the end of the world. I'm like, who cares? Just tomorrow's a new day. Just start the day again tomorrow. And I think, you know, we can learn from kids because you see a toddler fall down. What's the first thing they do? They get back up again. You know, it's just no matter how many times they fall down. I think adults, we forget that, you know, it's, um, you know, we, we go into our, you know, I, in a cave, you know, but I think if we just keep getting up and going through, um, but I want to go into some wisdom that you've been given, you know, did you get any wisdom from your parents or coaches that you you've really held on to and you, you now teach your athletes about that wisdom? Um, that's a hard one. I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure they have to think of the top of my head. I can't really think of anything 
wisdom wise it would have gave me I, th- I guess you're just so wise yourself I'm Carl. a wise old man <laughs> what about um I'll give you a time to think about that but what yeah. about um MMA itself because I know when when people learn the discipline of MMA usually they stop fighting or having fights outside in the football field um was that something that happened to you absolutely um I still remember the the very very first fight I have, I, I've had probably two fights out since then, since I was 22, and wow. they're more um, defending myself fights. Yeah. Um, where before that, I'd fight like back in Dublin nearly every weekend. Yeah. And then as soon as I started fighting for some reason, and it wasn't that I was starting fights back then, but if someone wanted to fight, I'd be like, yeah, cool, let's go. Yeah. But once I learned that discipline and I really learned how to fight, I was like, well, I don't need to. Yeah. And someone would start them and be like, you know, whatever, it's cool. Just walk away because I didn't feel that need to, to fight anymore. You can choose your own battles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that gives the power back to you, hey. Yeah, exactly. You know, you you don't have to, and you're then being an example to people around you as well. I'm yeah. sure all your friends back at Dubbo would have seen the change and you're like, oh, hold on a second, Kyle's <laughs> not fighting anymore. <laughs> What's he doing differently? That's pretty special. He's not letting others control him. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. So let's just quickly touch on where you are right now. So you're a family man. We see you in the, in the gym training. Um, you bring your mate Shay in, which is really cool. <laughs> He's here, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so what is it that you, you're doing? Uh, training fighters. Um, yeah, I, that's... I like doing that the most. Um, I'm also a carer, so you know, um, so I, I do that as well, which is a super fulfilling job. Yeah, um, yeah, and then, and then trying to be a pro surfer. I'm not. <laughs> I'm probably. I'm yeah. just trying. Yeah, we're all trying. <laughs> that's, we're all trying. <laughs> that's my next goal. That's my next life projection is to be a pro surfer. Yeah, you'll be sixty and yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. I know. I will. Shredding it with Kelly Slater. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, have you met him? No, but I talked to him on Instagram. He'll comment on something or send me a message and then we go back and forth. He's a huge fight fan. Slides into your DMs, huh? Slides into DMs. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, very cool. Well, mate, from Jacinta and I, we really appreciate your time. You're still doing amazing things. If there's a young fighter out there that's listening to this podcast that wants to get hold of you, what's the best way that they can get hold of you? Uh, just slide into my DMs. <laughs> slide into the DMs. I like it. We'll just link like, Kyle's Instagram, yeah. um, Instagram page to this podcast and yeah. slide on in there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, we really appreciate your time and you. we love seeing you come into the gym, you know, every single week, um, smashing out those weights. And um, we wish you every luck in the future, mate. So that's it. Thanks for listening. And if you have loved tuning in to us here at the Impact Podcast, just subscribe, rate and review. Yeah. And if you think that this podcast could impact someone you know, then make sure you share it. Catch ya. Bye. Damn phones, Babylon's can't crack the code. Used to sip out, stop, rip home, but figured I should stick to.